Hello everyone, and welcome to the Court of Alex podcast. This is a special episode where I decided to torture Joe and V into watching uh, the newest DC animated film, Justice League Dark, Apocalypse. Tortured she did. <laughs> so of course, I'm joined by Joe. Hi. And V. Hi. So we just finished watching this train wreck of a movie that surprisingly has gotten, oh, what was the ratings that you found on this fee? I believe it was Rotten Tomatoes 100%. And <laughs> on IMDb currently, I think it's standing at 7.8. I will say it's not the worst out of all of the DC animated films. It's not the best. It's just a whole mixed bag of what the heck happened out of the 14 that they did i would say this is either 14 or 13 at the bottom for me so this is just our impressions afterwards we're just gonna kind of talk about it we don't really have too much of a format who wants to speak first i hated it really couldn't find a thing to like about it everyone dies like a dog (laughs) (laughs) the worst is cheetah just fyi so if you're a cheetah fan there's so many things wrong but i never liked any of the movies that came out of this animated universe that dc has done since flashpoint to me it feels it ended exactly as it began which okay it's all done now they're going to go back to individual movies that could be good i've seen some clips of the animation style for the future movies and i'm not a fan of that either but anyway I believe there's a lot of mischaracterization. I also believe that these two people that directed this do not know DC, or they were just told, hey, this is the last movie of the whole franchise, so go nuts, do whatever the hell you want, take every single character that you want. They're all not going to come back anyway. And then I think they also took a lot of advice from watching Marvel movies, especially with non-humanoid character only saying three to five words throughout the entire movie until something that's supposed to be meaningful happens king shark is a shark (sighs) should (laughs) should we have um mentioned that the directors are matt peters and christina soda there we go all right and the writers who cannot be let go ernie altbacker who did the screenplay also did the teleplay and margreed scott did the story and teleplay so terrible a lot of these movies i just let it slide because i'm always saying like you know it's based off the new 52 universe so they're gonna act how they would there which is already stupid and then they were going to fix it in the rebirth universe after the reign of the superman movie everybody was pumped for this movie every single review that v has read to us sounds like it was from somebody working on the film well, that's all the early reviews. All the early reviews say things like, This is the best movie that a man has ever seen. This one's sure to knock Marvel's socks off. Why can't we get uh, live-action movies to be this incredible? I just wish this movie would come into my house and kill my dad and adopt <laughs> me for its own. That last one I left. But anyways, <laughs> yeah, the early ones were kind of over the top. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of mischaracterization. Yeah. Intrigan doesn't rhyme and is being moody for some stupid, asinine reason. I think the only character that was in character the entire time was John Constantine. I know, but it was a little bit like, okay, he saw his lover being eaten in front of him and he decided... To run. Yeah, I'm gonna run. And like, 
his redemption arc, his change of motive or his change of heart is really sort of not predicated on anything. Like there's no real moment where he's like, I got to do better or this is why I did that and this is how I overcome it. It was just like, oh, I did some random cowardly thing. But now I'm not a coward anymore because the stakes are just as high as they were. It's just sadder now because everyone's dead. And that's the other thing, too. It's like, as soon as you have a movie, especially a superhero movie, and you're starting it off and the main plot focuses around half the population of these characters are dead or being killed throughout the film, it's not going to be good. I'm sorry. Well, and the way they treat the dead characters, I think, Mm -hmm. actually helps a lot in that, that sort of shallow narrative. Like, some of them, they don't even acknowledge they're dead. People they fought alongside for years will just, in front of them, just be, like, completely butchered, and they'll be like, nothing. They don't even show them in screen. They don't even Mm -hmm. look at them. Mm -hmm. They don't acknowledge them afterwards. And people will lose people, like, in a really brutal, horrific way that they actually love and they'll just be like well you know on to the next like an example is towards the end constantine goes to africa and riles up swamp thing on purpose to get his friend to attack the tower you just sent your friend swamp thing to his death knowing well what you were doing Mm -hmm. didn't care and just joked about it, like Swampy's got it handled. And you're like, excuse me, when Cheetah dies, she just gets shot. There's not even a body. Understandably, like, okay, the Suicide Squad members, pff, they don't care. And Harley makes a stupid joke. There's too many jokes to try to alleviate the movie of all of this, but they're trying to bring the shock factor of how horrific these deaths are, and you don't care. Well, because the characters don't care. They'll see someone like split in half and they'll be like, shame and it's like that's horrific anyone else who sees someone they care about or even like how damien was Mm -hmm. like his face his everything like most of his hair was off it was really gross looking how burned he was i mean like they were sad but like they Mm -hmm. they had the same sort of muted emotionless sort of behavior that everyone exemplified throughout almost as if it's like strong characters don't show emotion mm-hmm. strong characters don't raise their voices above a certain decibel and there were exceptions there were a couple of people who actually were able to like emote but most of them couldn't and i don't know why i was gonna say i really wonder if one of the main problems is that the voice acting didn't seem to line up with mm-hmm. the animation in terms of emotion reaction i think v you said it during the movie that this specific animation style you can only show so much emotion right and they always seemed very stiff and it just did not work even the movements of the arms like going to touch somebody's face or whatever it just looks like somebody dragged it with a mouse well true and like the the frames are so jerky Mm -hmm. and like it's so cheap the animation is so cheap and muse you were talking about how even like the Mm -hmm. 3d is having trouble meshing with the 2d I don't really know if it was in the beginning because I didn't notice too much of that C- 3D CG, but you can definitely tell like the very end where the Suicide Squad and Lois Lane and Lex Luthor are trying to fight off the Paradooms and the Paradooms are in 3D, but mm-hmm. like Black Manta is in 2D, Boomerang's in 2D, and it's really obvious that there are two distinctive animation styles. And not saying that you can't put 2D characters with 3D, surprisingly DreamWorks's uh, Voltron Legendary Defender managed to actually do this really well 
but it's really complicated and they barely did it because it required a lot of money. This had a very low budget because even the 3D paradooms by themselves looked cheap. You could tell they were CG. It was so obvious. And I feel like, I mean, that's something that they use in a couple movies. I remember even seeing that in a couple of the TV shows where usually it's the main characters that are still animated and it's the environment that they're in that turns into 3D. So I think it would be good if, like, before we went all into that, we should probably mention what the story's about. Like, a little premise before we start. So Clark basically informs everybody that Apocalypse, the planet, is moving across the galaxy like War World and is going to try and invade Earth again. Clark says that they need to kill Darkseid. So they go to space, and then it cuts to two years later where Darkseid clearly has won. They have to try and save the little bit of humanity that's left. It just turns into the end of the New 52 animated universe era. And so that's the premise. The plucky heroes that remain have to go ahead and take out Darkseid. Mm -hmm. But we don't really get to see what happened all at once. They slowly will reveal, but character by character, who survived and how they survived. And all the ones that were very plucky and happy-go-lucky are no longer. Now they are torn and suffering and depressed and completely mischaracterized. And it happens to be an all-out cat fight in the middle of a prison where you would normally be like, what the hell is going on here? My wife is in a battling cage against (laughs) Harley Quinn. Why is she doing this? But instead, he's like, oh, look at her go. She can win. I'm fully supporting this. She's an army brat. Army brats can face off against Harley Quinn. That was really funny how you introduced it to you're like, imagine your wife. And I was like, you, you would. You would. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That pissed me off so much. <laughs> there have been uh, many times where Clark walks into a situation and all of a sudden Lois is there in a predicament he did not foresee. This happens all the freaking time. But not once is he ever like, way to go, honey, you can do it, take her out. (laughs) I liked how there was one part where he goes, you need to stop leading with your chin. And she's like, oh, I learned it from you. Yeah. And and Joe loses his mind. He's invulnerable. (laughs) He could do whatever the fuck he wants. (laughs) (laughs) But there is a lot of scenes with Lois that I liked her being the leader of a lot of this because she's always been the civilian being a strong reporter and i i enjoyed that instead of her being the damsel in distress but yeah no some of her interactions with clark were weird and and also the whole han solo princess leia shit yeah that was weird and the only time she said i love you is when she's in the tower as it's exploding and that is what snaps Clark out of being possessed by Trigon. Yeah, Trigon's in this movie, along with Darkseid and a whole bunch of other bullshit that doesn't make any freaking sense. Like, there's so many stupid, tiny little plots that didn't matter. Like, who cares? I liked how there's some sort of pep talk when they're trying to convince Damien to go talk to his dad. And, of course, Superman's like, He'll snap out of it because he loves you, which is totally what happens in Hush, of course. Like, mm-hmm. Superman can snap out of anything, any sort of drug or poison if, if Lois Lane is in danger. So he's like, Batman can do it too. That's how the situation can work, is if 
you just show them a loved one and wave them in front of their face and they just like <laughs> come out of it but raven says all dads love their children even abusive ones or no yeah. she says even bad ones but that's yeah. what she meant and i was like raven what the hell <laughs> You're not helping. <laughs> That's not even close to true. <laughs> and then, of course, I knew what it was setting up. I knew that Trigon was going to do something where it's like, yeah. yes, I tried to murder you and all your friends, but I secretly love you. Like, please do not give Trigon a emotional arc. <laughs> There's no reason for Trigon to have that. He is just pure evil. Why do we have to make villain characters sympathetic? Why can't some villains just be pure evil and keep it at that? Because some pure evil villains like Trigon and Darkseid are formidable on their own because they have no qualms about killing people. And it raises the stakes more. And you made him have a moment with Raven at the end was not necessary. I will say that that is a matchup that people have been wanting for years because I remember seeing discussions about that when the Teen Titans show was on TV. Like, everybody wanted to see a fight between Trigon and Darkseid. And yes, that would be really cool. And I'm pretty sure I would have appreciated that fight scene a lot more if I cared enough about the movie. But so much stuff happened before that fight that I lost any interest in this film. And all those deaths just were not impactful. Like, okay, they were going off of the shock value of it. Of, oh, look at us. We're killing all of your favorite heroes. Very similarly to that wonderful Marvel movie that did so well a year or two ago. Like, not everything has to emulate Marvel. You can do your own thing. You can have your own post-apocalyptic world. And you don't have to show these characters brutally dying. That's right. Just for the sake of the shock. Bring back bats of acid. <laughs> and labyrinths. Why is it DC feels that they have to be so unnecessarily bloody and gory? Yeah. It was already kind of like that with the live action. With just nonsensical violence. And now you're putting it in the animated films. Granted, I will say I'm pretty sure the last Justice League Dark animated movie, it was rated R. It was. And had a lot of that gore and violence and stuff in it. The main reason it had the gore and the violence is because it was closer to like a horror film. It was dark. Right. In not, not because of, oh, it has just a sweet dark in it. It was a pretty dark film. I enjoyed that film. Also, why do kids have to cuss? Wait, they cussed? Yeah, Raven, she dropped the F word. Is she a kid? Physically a kid. Mentally yeah, she's a teen. 40s now. <laughs> She was so haggard looking. She looked so old. Yeah, what was up with that? I think it's because of the mental toll it was putting on her trying to continuously fight Trigon that she wasn't sleeping. I don't think it was supposed to be old person lines. I think it was supposed to be bags under her eyes. I just assumed it was like malnourishment because it's taking so much energy yeah. to keep Trigon at bay. But I was wondering, yeah. why is it like that now and not before this whole thing went down? I noticed during the whole scene when they were showing the Justice League, while they're briefing them on the mission, they showed it the Teen Titans, Raven kind of goes, ah, and she like grabs her head. It sounds like Trigon has for a while because, oh, she's becoming weak. She's showing emotion, which is love towards Damien. And so he's threatening to kill him because his daughter is feeling love and it's weakening her. That was one of my biggest gripes about Raven in the past movies, too, is that Raven was always supposed to hide emotion. She was trained on Azeroth to hide her emotions because any type of emotion that she shows or expresses and feels 
is another step of Trigon taking over her. I feel like in these past animated movies, she showed emotion left and right. Right. Well, you've read uh, more Justice League Dark than either Joe or I. How do you think it compares to the series? The only thing it had was Constantine. I think that's the only reason it was called a Justice League Dark movie was because the main character and the main focus was John Constantine. Mm -hmm. And he kind of was one of the main characters in the first one. The influence of Zatanna as well and the impact of magic on all of this. I think that was it. Could have just been a Justice League movie. You didn't even need to smack the dark onto it and it would have been fine. It acted more like an actual Justice League movie because you had every Justice League member there including the Teen Titans. To be fair, the main characters that were included were Etrigan, Raven, and it had Swamp Thing, who's, you know, sometimes around for that. I didn't see Detective Chimp, which surprised me. Because knowing Detective Chimp, I'm sorry, no hate on Detective Chimp. He's a really good character, but he seems to be the more cowardly out of all of them. I don't know if that's just a Tinian way of writing him, but the, he wrote him a little cowardly. And I wouldn't be surprised if he took the Oblivion Bar and... Instead of acting like what's-her-name and taking that whole house and launching it in a Violet? That was such a weird lead-in, but you didn't have to do that. You could have just shown her being a badass, controlling the house as it smacks into one of those... Like, it was tower just like one of those things where it's like we want to throw as many characters in there as possible even if they don't have speaking roles and mm -hmm. some of these characters are people that they teased in past films and it was like oh they'll show up in the next one but they never did like wallace west was there you saw him with the rest of the titans donna troy was there they only teased donna this is the first time people are seeing wallace also Connor being part of Teen Titans for a solid, what, minute 30? <laughs> it was like, hi, hi, Con, bye, Con. Didn't say anything, no speaking role, whatever. Uh -huh. He's fighting people, and then he gets his neck snapped. Yep. That's how most of these characters are treated, though. Their neck is snapped, mm -hmm. or they're just already dead on the ground, or dive-bombed by a bunch of these paradooms and just eaten so you don't actually see them. Like, what happened mm -hmm. with Batgirl? Like, that's what happened to her. Connor gets this next snap. Okay, I know a lot of Green Lantern fans will probably, like, be up in arms over what happened to Kilowog. Oh, yeah. Or, like, how Satana died with, like, she, you know, how she says words backwards. Instead, she's just, like, being attacked and she's just like, Ah, yeah, John, come back! Oh, John, save me! And it's like... <laughs> literally have all the tools you need to deal with this what does john have that you don't have you know like get it together woman you're embarrassing everyone unless like that entire scene was like fabricated to him oh that's way too much credit are you kidding me i don't know <laughs> and also like bringing it back to the lanterns where you know it pans oa and you see Guy Gardner dead along with that famous, uh, I always forget, the one that looks like she's 16, but she's actually 250 years old. She yeah. dated Hal for a while. And then, <laughs> yeah. V, you trying not to think about that. when we saw what happened to Jon Stewart. It was so horrible. Jon is, like, struggling. And they try to make it this big thing, because you know they're going to, just from what they've been doing beforehand. Yeah. There's sort of, like, this almost gleeful destruction of each yeah. character. Mm -hmm. Where they're just like, oh, you like this character? 
we're not going to make them heroic at all. We're going to drag it out so you can see them suffer. And then we're going to end it in the most gruesome way we can. How do you like that, DC fans? I bet you love it. And so <laughs> that's what they said with this guy. Jon Stewart is doing his hole in Blackest Night as he's crawling towards the thing. And then they're like, oh, look, he's going to make it. But they kept intercutting it between Batman and Darkseid talking and you know, because they're dragging it out, each stanza between the conversation between those two, that it's not going to make it to the thing. But he's crawling towards this power battery, and then Darkseid says, oh, direct some magma here. And I'm like, yeah, fucking of course. And so that he just finishes, and it's about to light up, and then he gets coated in magma. That would have been bad enough. But then they let the magma part real fast so you can see the skeleton. And it's like, yeah, we know what happens when you get doused in magma. And then you see the rings sort of scatter off. And they're like, there's a fun little side trip that did nothing for the plot. But we just wanted you to see it. I will say out of like all of the deaths, that was probably one of the more impactful ones. Because you're like, okay, I know how this film has been going. Like you said, that was unnecessary. They do try to pull at your heart a bit more. But it's so cheap. It's nothing earned. The worst one that really set the tone for me was when they panned over Titan's Tower and you see Starfire literally in half with her intestines exposed five feet across the floor. But it's not even that. It's the way they show heroes' deaths with no Mm -hmm. dignity, no care. It's like these characters, a lot of them die and you can kill them, but the way you kill them matters. Like when you can have them dying, doing something heroic, mm-hmm. making a last stand, you feel something and you're just like, ouch, that hurts. But you kind of accept it because that's so in character for them. Right. When you have them just dragged out, like, we're going to make this ugly. We're going to make this undignified of a death. They do it in an almost gleeful way where it's fun for them to do it. And it kind of reminded me of that whole mentality behind the boys where it was like angry and vengeful Mm -hmm. and not at all like it was coming out of a good faith place from someone who actually likes these characters. Because you could definitely tell like if the people working on this actually did enjoy these characters, they would have been written in a way that people recognize them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, they did definitely change since the first couple of movies came out because again, New 52 into Rebirth and they were starting to mature more. They were starting to act more like a team. That stuff all did change. But I don't really know if Superman would be all for killing a guy and then other people want to kill somebody. He's like, no, we can't do that. Uh, Yeah. And again, it goes back to the main thing of Batman had a contingency plan because plot convenience. Oh, yeah. Oh, there are a million plot conveniences. Also, divine plot convenience of, oh, John dies. And then destiny, this metaphysical concept, decides to bring him back to life. Because of Batman's plan. (laughs) I'm just like, that didn't make sense. Like, I understand the whole, like, okay, Batman needed to at least get some people away during all this just in case, like, shit hit the fan. But how is he going to predict fate intervening? Like, fate literally just decided to intervene and say, "Mm, no, I don't like this. Especially because this is before he gets the Mobius chair. Yep. So you can't even say that it's because he had all the knowledge in the universe that he could predict and calculate something like this. No, he had this contingency plan before they got to that point. And it just goes to, because he's Batman. Batman has a plan for everything. He's Mm. still human. 
I like how Raven's tears can bring people back to life. <laughs> She's got Rapunzel tears. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Damien's hair did grow back oh, pretty true. quickly. I also liked what they did to one of my favorite boys, Dick Grayson. Oh. <laughs> so Damien gets in trouble with Raven in the beginning. It's a callback. They're going to be like, you can't raise the dead. It's wrong. So he throws his brother into the Lazarus pits and drives him frothing insane. And they keep him in a room because... I mean, it's in character. Damien likes to put people in little prisons that he keeps his, <laughs> to himself. It's oh fun for him. So he keeps his brother in there. But the very weirdest part is at the very end when they're all on a picnic. They're all watching the sunset, all coupled up in weird configurations. Starfire, who, by the way, got cut in half and is now currently sitting there as half-robot, has Dick Grayson lying on her lap in his straight jacket. So they went into Damien's little prison, got out Nightwing, and they're like, come on, <laughs> we're gonna go on a picnic. And I don't get it. She's sitting there stroking his head lovingly, and you're like, do you guys not see anything wrong with this? It goes from everybody boom tubing off of Apocalypse to everybody on Titan's Island. Where <laughs> the hell did Titus the dog and Dick Grayson come from? Because they weren't on that mission. Like V said, Dick was locked up. Titus, who knows where? Bizarre. If anything, it could have been in a comic book, and that would have been like, okay, it's fine. It's out of continuity or whatever. But it's in an animated movie, and the movies always get more viewership from non-comic fans, and they expect it to try and pull them into the comics. Not to mention the budget. Like, spend a little more of the budget on writing, please. And that's why one of my things, too, is that, like, you have an animated movie... Why don't you ever really get comic book writers to help? Instead, you'll just take the idea and you'll run with it when you can actually get the comic book writer's input or something. Well, but a lot of the comic book writers aren't that great. Just saying. <laughs> but they do that, right? They had Gail Simone. Well, I guess that's a Marvel thing. Marvel's been getting input from their people. I mean, I guess they didn't really consult Bendis about uh, Into the Spider-Verse. Like, Gail Simone ha was, like, definitely... No, no, not Gail Simone. Who's the other one? The redhead who did uh, Captain Marvel. Kelly Sue DeConnick? Yeah, thank you. So, Kelly Sue DeConnick was not only consulted for Captain Marvel, but she was also, like, even an extra in it. <laughs> so, was like, she? Yeah. <laughs> it is normal for some movies to consult with writers, but yeah, I don't know about DC doing it. And I notice a lot of the times on credits for anything like DC related, you usually see like executive producer Jeff Johns. I don't even think his name was on this one. No, he's been focusing more on the DC Universe stuff along with Greg Berlanti. Not mm -hmm. so much on the animated movies, which it shows. Yeah, there have been a couple of good animated DC movies, way better than whatever DC was putting out in live action for a while. I, I will give it props on that. really loved the DC animated universe over to live action all the time because with animation, you can do so much more than a live action budget. You can have them go anywhere in the galaxy, anywhere in a multiverse that you wanted to. Right. Just like a comic book. Much easier than live action. And for the longest time, I want to say before the Flashpoint movie and this whole animated universe happened, I loved every single animated movie that DC had put out. I was a major fan of Public Enemies because they took the story from 
the Batman Superman comics mm-hmm. and just animated it. Yep. All these animated movies were amazing. And then they decided to go with this animated universe during New 52. And it's mm-hmm. just been crap. Yeah, it started out pretty strong. I liked the Batman movies. Those are pretty good. I think those could be a standalone. Just chill over here. Watch them if you want. Well, I'm looking at their credits and like, okay, so Ernie Altbacker, he was involved with like Teen Titans. Yeah, he did the Judas contract. So there's one. (laughs) That was uh, awkward because it went along with the original storyline with Tara being in love with Deathstroke. So no, this is too dated of an idea. Please, can we go with the more modern version? Teen Titans animated series way back when did a much better job of the more apprentice and uh, master relationship between Terra and Deathstroke, or <laughs> Slade. So, as far as writing credits go, right? Ernie Altbacker, I don't know. I don't really like a lot of stuff he did. Uh, Marguerite Scott hasn't done that much. Uh, Christina Soda, this is her first time directing a film. And Matt Peters, uh, he's done some directorial stuff, but like both of those people started off in storyboards. This Ooh. is kind of like the DreamWorks way of doing things where they will start people off as storyboard artists and then promote them to director, sometimes at like hand over fist speeds. Mm-hmm. It's hard to like blame directors fully for animated things because a lot of times when it comes to animation, directors' jobs are very different than live action, where you know a live action director usually has full control, whereas like animation directors kind of have more of a this needs to get done kind of role. It's hard to describe, but it's not like I have a vision usually. It's more um, collaborative when it's animation. So as far as whose idea this was, it's kind of hard to blame it on any one person. I think it's just an experience and sort of an apathy for the source material. Mm-hmm. And whoever was the ADR director for this needs to get fired because <laughs> the characters were so one note. I think we mentioned this before, like there are some limitations to the expressiveness of the animation, but there were scenes, the awkward scene with Raven's awkward one-liner, Damien, you can see his character seemed very pained. Like the two years have put a strain on him. He's been through a lot. He blames Clark for the loss and disruption of his family. And I don't blame the kid, but his actor sounds so dead inside. Like he doesn't have <laughs> any amount of emotion it wasn't just him either. A bunch yeah. of characters act. And I wonder if that was like a director's command about it. Yeah, no, you, the direction for this was bad because I know V mentioned, it was like, wait, this person voiced Wonder Woman? Yeah, Rosario Dawson. Yeah, she's an incredible voice actress. And there was no emotion or soul, especially once Diana comes out of her control from Dark Side. She's just spouting her whole I am Diana Themyscira. And there is no pride. There's no strength to it as she's rising back up. There's no reality to this at all. There's no realism. Martian Manhunter is a shapeshifter. You didn't even need to make him a cyborg. He could have just shapeshifted his own body. All you had to do was just brainwash him. Mm, well, maybe they needed to make him a cyborg because they had mutilated his body so badly. They did burn him. Yeah, so he should be dead. Yeah. <laughs> Not resurrected. I mean, all of them should be dead. And then Hawkman, the only thing that was left alive of him was an eyeball. <laughs> Yet he only lost his wings during that yeah. scene where they rip his wings off. Starfire should be dead. She got ripped in half. I'm not Ugh. familiar enough with New God's technology, but I assume there's something like that. I also want to know why Clark wasn't dead from the liquid kryptonite slowly seeping into his body for two years. 
All valid points. Instead, his eyes turn green, and he's not as invulnerable anymore. Oh, I loved the part where he's shooting kryptonite lasers from Lex's suit. <laughs> yeah, and then was it, what are they going to do to fight Darkseid? Have him next to more kryptonite? Oh my gosh. Because now he's immune to it for some reason? I guess. Oh, and then magical Trigon transformation of restoration to Clark. Don't even get me started on that shit. His suit comes back, the liquid kryptonite's gone, he gets a haircut, and he shaves. It's like Joe after quarantine. (laughs) You hope. (laughs) He seems way too happy about it. I'm starting to worry. He's like, no, no, I'm going to have hair as long as Superman when he comes back from the dead. And look what happened. He had a whole Sailor Moon effect. Oh. He transformed into his regular rebirth outfit. Mm. It's going to be me. Just wait and see. That was cruel. I thought the worst part, of course, was uh, Cyborg, who was trapped in the source wall. <laughs> no, that wasn't a source wall. That was just Apocalypse. Then they but called it the source it wall. Some, yeah, he said the they, source wall. Wait, what? Yeah, they yeah. called it the source wall, which they also made, made me... that the source wall. They mm-hmm. they made the source wall a little garden fence. Are you fucking <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> They're like, look at it, it's pink. <laughs> this is the source wall. We keep it here, and I put a robot in it. <laughs> and there's cyborg, and he's still himself, and he's like trapped in there and they're like we need to get you out of there he's like no no there's not enough left of me to get out it's like clearly there is most of your body is out just like your butt maybe your chest is in there (laughs) we can we can do it and he's like no let me die they're like yeah that sounds good to us goodbye like they fight for a little bit and at the end constantine is like download your consciousness into a what did he call it a a mama cube because it was supposed to be mother box they just like, uh, should we leave you, Cyborg? And he's like, yeah, it's fine. Like, he doesn't even, like, have that moment of freaking out when he comes back. Like, why am I in a wall? <laughs> he's just like, oh, yeah, I'm in a wall, and this is this, and that is that, and I'm going to die here. And they're like, well, all right, okay. bye. Cheers. Okay. Yeah, they just take off, and Wonder Woman just kind of looks at him like, Yeah. And then they yeah. leave him. They don't have any kind words to say to him. No one says anything like, gee, Cyborg, thanks for taking one for the team. At least thanks for opening the portal for us. Yeah, no one has manners. So anyways, that whole thing was sort of like more of the same, where they're just kind of like the cost of human life doesn't matter to this storyline, like this world. None of it has any impact because nobody cares about each other enough. They care about their sexual conquest characters or people who are family. But all the rest of the friendships, they're kind of superficial. Yeah. Even Damien, when he watches his mother shot through the face, he's like... That was like, Lady Shiva. That was Shiva. Oh, Shiva, thank you. I was like, that's Shiva at first, and then I heard him say it in my head, and I was like, hmm, Natalia? <laughs> no, Shiva. They, like, only named her that once. That yeah. was it, which, if you my don't know converted. anything about comics, you wouldn't even know who she is. Only the greatest hand-to-hand fighter ever. And then gets taken down by an accidental headshot yeah and magical cheetah who is imbued with all this power doesn't hear a foot soldier coming up who riddles her with bullets they don't even look at her it drives me absolutely nuts how nobody cares about anyone except king shark king shark was the highlight why so many parts i don't know why because they wanted to make him group oh right kryptonite sprayed teeth (laughs) just so so lame he looked awful 
Also, the unnecessary, let's make Constantina scaly. Like, that's his eggs. It was stupid. Is that scaly if you, you know? Yes. It you is. wanted to fuck a fish. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I said during it, I wondered if there was enough mental capacity with Keen Shark to make that a consensual relationship. And well, then apparently, at the, at end, the end of yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> they're like surprised he can talk but up until that point you don't know he can talk and if he's mostly animal that's kind of incredible that he is saying his own name so much he's just saying king shark is shark and you're like how do you interpret that as let's have a consensual relationship but i that was the only part i saw on tumblr and captain boomerang is a boomerang you oh right where he's just like are you mm-hmm. kidding me you've been are able to talk this whole time Oh my gosh, like when we needed you to talk, but for comedic purposes, you've been holding out on us because the writers thought this would be funny. Is that mm-hmm. what you want, Keen Shark? That's what he says verbatim, by the way. And then. <laughs> <laughs> also, speaking of characters that have like a weird speech thing, Ben Intrigan doesn't rhyme. Which has happened in the past in Batman TV show and the Justice League. Mm-hmm. He does other rhymes and you don't have to do couplets like he always does. Well, but Constantine said it's because he lost someone important. He was sad. The only thing I can think of is that he lost Jason Blood. Yeah. It's just a demon now. Yep. That's what I thought of. But they could have mentioned that. Everyone lost someone. Yeah, everyone lost someone. Who did he lose? Oh, he lost the human half of him. Where did they say that, by the way? Because I never figured that out. It's called subtext, like you mentioned last (laughs) week. (laughs) But there's subtext. No, there was no subtext. (laughs) I didn't even know he could lose Jason Bourne. Yeah. Or not Jason Bourne, (laughs) Jason Blood. (laughs) He lost the whole ultimatum. (laughs) That was incredible. How did you do it, Etrigan? (laughs) I know he, it's happened before. Four, yeah. Uh, where Jason Blood has either died in the comics, they've become separated. Uh, Jason Blood has lost Intrigan himself, so it it would make sense that he lost Jason Blood. But isn't it always with magic that you have to like they get separated? Mm-hmm. Not like, yeah. you know, I lost him in battle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some aliens got him. But his his one liners about like I like this kid about Damien, it's like what. He was basically playing Drax. He was Drax. Like, these characters were just copy-pasted and taking bits of what the directors knew of Marvel films. Mm-hmm. Because they were more readily available. Infinity War, Endgame, and Guardians of the Galaxy. That was mm-hmm. it. It's dreadful. No one should watch this film or give it money or ever, nope. like, encourage no. these people in similar pursuits again. This was I'm the worst. I'm really not looking forward to the next future movies either. No. I know they said it's not going to be a tied universe, but the animation doesn't look good. I haven't even seen the animation. It looks like it's going for old timey, except it's, you know, modern day. Well, it's just the lines are thin and they're very angular. First of all, like you usually go a little bit more cartoony when you want to be a little bit more stretchy because like you can spend more time animating if you are doing less details. So they'll like try to loosen up the details. This has medium details. It's not like overly detailed and it's not under detailed, but it is like angular and boring. The amount of expression they're allowed, the amount of changes in facial features. Like if you watch any of them act surprised, like that barely registers. 
Mm. There's like limited things you can do with the designs they've set up. And I feel like not only is it hard to draw and keep it consistent, and they do keep it consistent, but it's hard to emote with them. And so then when you actually put it down, you see what they attempted, it's like nothing. The frames are choppy. It's just there's nothing there that you would look at and be like, mm, this is visually pleasing. I just looked up the, the release date for this. Mm-hmm. It has Darren Chris, Zachary Quinto, and Alexandra Daddario. I don't know who these people are. Darren Chris played Harry Potter in Starkid. Zachary Quinto plays Spock in the Star Trek movies. Mm-hmm. And Alexandra Daddario is one of my favorite actresses. She played Annabeth in the Percy Jackson movies. And she's also been in True Detective. Hmm. And Why? the movie is called Superman Man of Tomorrow. The release date is just 2020. And it's going to be young Clark Kent works as an intern at the Daily Planet while learning how to save the city of Metropolis. It's Darren Chris freaking Superman. Yeah, Darren Chris is Superman. Alexandra is Lois, and Zachary Quinto is going to be Lex Luthor. Hmm. It's also going to have Lobo, Martha, Parasite, Jonathan, Martian Manhunter. All right, have fun with that. Uh, let's start wrapping this up. Yeah. There is one more point that I do want to make that we didn't really talk too much about, and it's the very, very end. I know we mentioned it a little bit. The whole reason any of this shit happened is because of Barry and his Flashpoint paradox, which he mentioned during the Justice League meeting at the very beginning, but they just brush him off because it's not important. And because apparently half of them still don't believe him that it happened. No, and he's like, there's this thing that's just been bugging me. Like, he doesn't even know he did it or something, but apparently he's fully aware of it by the end of the film, and he's like, I promised Iris I wouldn't do this, and it's like, there's no worse ending than whatever you could come up with here. So that's their way of retconning the entire series. Barry runs off into the sunset, goes through the speed force and through time as a wash of light comes and just engulfs everyone very slowly, and it Mm -hmm. fades to black. That is the end of this entire series. And it was just, I can't even explain how just the ending was just uneventful. I know I was supposed to be emotionally invested in, I could not be. I couldn't believe anybody. And I think it's just all on the writers. And honestly, like how with so much like material at your fingertips on acting, on directing, on how to put together a film or a story, like how are people still not able to do this? It keeps happening where people are just like, we're going to follow trends and we're not going to put any effort into the story at all. I don't get it. I don't see what they're trying to do unless they're deliberately trying to destroy this whole empire. But I mean, like, honestly, in these, like, when people look for rated R, they're not looking for more F-words. Like, that's not what they're excited about. They're actually excited for some mature storytelling. And this, it's mature in that people die, but it's not mature in any sort of, like, actual story way. It would be nice to see a little bit of effort from people who have these IPs. Otherwise, why did I waste that time? They took part of my life away from me, and I'm very angry about it. <laughs> Sorry, I stole two hours of both of your lives to it's watch this fun. movie. It had to be done. Did it? I was going to watch it eventually, just so I can hate it and be, a, you know, completionist in me. <laughs> At of least course. I got some Animal Crossing done. All right, so I think that's it for our review of the Justice League Dark Apocalypse War movie. Uh, But we're not done there. We just have a little bit of comic news. Joe, would you like to cover this 
also very controversial. Yeah, speaking of bad movies and animation and TV, Batwoman came out with their decision about what they're going to be doing with season two. Me and V discussed this a couple of weeks ago where we were saying that Ruby Rose left Batwoman after one season, which we said good for her. And we were wondering, what is the show going to do now that they don't have their main character? Well, CW is introducing a new character named Ryan Wilder to take up Batwoman's mantle. According to a casting notice that was posted on Reddit, it encourages LGBTQ performers to audition. Ryan Wilder is a female in her mid-late 20s and complete opposite of Kate Kane. And this is the quote that they use to describe Ryan Wilder. She's likable, messy, a little goofy, and untamed, with no one in her life to keep her on track. Ryan spent years as a drug runner, dodging the GCPD <laughs> and occupation. masking her pain with bad habits. Today, reformed and sober, Ryan lives in a van with her plant. A girl who would steal milk from an alley cat and could also kill you with her bare hands. Ryan is the most dangerous type of fighter, highly skilled and wildly disciplined. An out lesbian, athletic, raw, passionate, fallible. And very much not your stereotypical all-American hero. So she's <sighs> everyone. She's every woman. She's all of them. Mm-hmm. God. <laughs> and their big question with Ryan's introduction, what does this mean for Alice, which is Rachel Scarston? Batwoman's entire first season was built around Kate's sometimes adversarial relationship with her villainous twin sister, Alice. It's going to be interesting to see how the show not only moves past that, but also deals with Ryan's dynamic with Alice in season two. Also worth noting that Batwoman showrunner Caroline Dries did say that she was looking forward to exploring Alice's relationship, or lack thereof, with Kate's stepsister Mary in season two. I was done with this series even before Ruby Rose backed out, and <laughs> I am now just not even going to touch it. Like, you could have done so much more with this. Like, okay, yeah, it would have probably upset some people if you replaced Ruby Rose and got a completely different actress to play Kate and just go on with the story. You could have done that. Also, there's also a character that is connected with the Bat family who herself is also an LGBTQ person. You're thinking of Harper? Yeah, I'm thinking of Harper. I don't remember if she's bi, she's a lesbian. I don't know. I, I can't remember. Still, you could have had someone who's bi, and Harper hasn't been introduced at all. I'm surprised they didn't. There was also a young woman that, towards the end, like in the last episode, which was really weird, and I don't know why that was the season finale. She shows up because Kate's having a existential crisis over killing a psychopath and is now afraid that she's going to hurt somebody and kill them. So she's been not being Batwoman for a couple of months, and this young woman is running around trying to be Batwoman in the background, just helping out everyday citizens. Yeah, she gets hurt, and you see her in Mary's little clinic. You already have someone that could just take up the mantle for whatever reason. Mary might could have just been like, oh, you have heart, you have courage. She's done it multiple times. This isn't the first time she's been in Mary's clinic. I think the reason why people don't like um, Harper Rowe is just because she wasn't popular with the fans, but she is perfect for Batwoman. Not only does she canonically have a crush on Batwoman, but she has that like crazy hair that they love to show in Batwoman. <laughs> Where it's like, 
I've got a pseudo mohawk and I dyed it blue and purple and I am a badass and I am <laughs> I think she was a STEM major living on the street with her brother mm-hmm. who I think is gay. So it's kind of checking off all the boxes. I think the only reason people haven't drawn her into the film universe or the TV universe is because she just tanked so much with fans. Like, fans just didn't care about her. And I think it's just because, like, they, they tried too hard at the beginning, you know, when mm-hmm. they sort of try to put someone in there, like, you need to like this person. She's got all these good attributes, but, you know, she's a little bit boring. Yeah. But don't look at that. If it's not organic, a lot of people just kind of reject those characters out of hand. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's going to happen to the new character, whether or not it is Harper. Yeah. But I think Harper would work a bit better with the situation. Like you said, she's a fan of Batwoman. She's bi. She's a bit of a badass herself. She doesn't have as much restraint as a lot of the rest of the Bat family. But I think they could make her likable because I know a handful of the other Arrowverse series have made some very unlikable characters likable, like Leonard Snart and Heatwave. Like, those are two villains that they have made likable antiheroes in these series. You could have done the same thing with Harper Rowe. You could have made her this likable character through this. But no, they're going to make this totally stereotypical, tropey character to fit and make this edgy show no longer edgy because people don't like edgy stuff. Tell that to the animated movies (laughs) that people don't like edgy. Uh. Well, I think CW's proven pretty definitively that people care more about quirky characters than edgy characters. At least that's the message you're going to get if you compare just Batwoman Mm -hmm. to Flash and Supergirl. So yeah, that's all the news we have. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Sorry for ranting too long. Yeah, we'll go back to our normal episodes next week. And as always, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr at Court of Outlets. Let us know which comics you want us to cover next week. And make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Radio Public, and anywhere else you may listen to your podcast. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye. Take care, guys.